It's time to get heavy on the magic. It's R. Sinclair, 72. Hi, everybody. Welcome to R. Sinclair. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about heavy on the magic. Mm. Now, Aaron, I just returned from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, oh. one of your favorite haunts. Oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, went to stayed with my uncle and my aunt. My uncle is a professional magician. Ooh, neat. you might say you might say he's heavy on the magic. Is he a heavy man, perchance? He is. He's he's quite heavy. No. He's quite heavy. So no, I wish I had <laughs> no offense, Uncle Mike. Yeah, but um, but anyway. I wanted to ask you about this because this is something that we've never talked about. How heavy were you into the magic back in the day? I mean, every kid sort of dabbles around with the old parlor tricks and things, but did you did you get real into it? Well, I mean, I can't perform any magic. I mean, clearly, if you've seen my career, that goes without saying. But I loved watching magic magicians. There used to be uh, specials on TV where they'd have... Like Doug Henning would be on there, guys like that. It's funny that you mentioned him first because Doug Henning is his absolute favorite magician. Yeah, Doug Henning, no one talks about he was kind of the hippie magician because he was mm-hmm. a man of his time. I mean, let's face facts. Uh, but uh, I always liked his stuff, you know, and you'd have your Blackstones and you'd have that sort of thing. I was a big fan of Harry Houdini, the history of him. I still am. i always been fascinated by his life story uh, and the crazy stuff he used to do. Uh, that you see a lot of modern, I guess, uh, magicians sort of kind of hork his gimmick or try to get over like he did with these crazy stunts. Guys get frozen in ice. Guys get mm-hmm. hoisted up on top of stuff or whatever. Uh, but it's for to me, it's less interesting now than it was in Houdini's time. Just I don't know. It's just I don't like the gimmicky stuff. Plus, there's just more ways to get away with stuff now than you used to have. You know, I was, where do you stand on the uh, where do you stand on the the old Penn and Teller act? Where well, they're they're hammering nails through people's eyes and stuff. I like Penn and Teller, but I mm-hmm. but parts of me don't like Penn and Teller. Uh, you know, they're they were a very cagey act. They've got a good g- gimmick with the the talking guy and the silent guy. It's a good angle. Mm-hmm. They're good magicians. I like the fact that they tell you what they're going to do, but then there's still magic involved that you can't quite right. decipher. So it's a good angle. They, a lot of magicians didn't like him at first until they understand what the gimmick was. You know. Uh, uh, I like a Penn Jillette as an actor or as a talking head. I think mm-hmm. he's interesting. Uh, as mm-hmm. a panelist, he's always amusing. He's a super intelligent guy. You don't hear much from Teller. Uh, every once in a yeah. while, Teller will give an interview. but not Teller's also, uh, the, whenever he's interviewed, he's also very intelligent. Oh, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. He's a yeah. smart guy. But, I mean, Penn's very And, and Teller, I was finding all this stuff out about him from my uncle. Uh, I guess Teller is one of the world's leading historians of magic. Yeah. Like, he, he, he knows everything about the stuff. So, yeah. that's really cool, too. Yeah, and I, then you've got the, your more modern magic acts, uh, you know, your Vegas stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I remember watching the guy disappear, the uh, the uh, I, not the Eiffel Tower, but the Statue of, Liberty, Statue of Liberty, or walk through the Great Wall of China. But, I mean... In a modern day, this stuff just lo- it doesn't do it for me, man. I yeah, just, yeah. Because- well, I mean, it's it's so easy to fake everything with computer graphics. Yeah. Like when David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear, people were shocked; they couldn't believe it. But now that would not bat one eye for anybody, yeah. Because they'd be just like they just CGI'd it out. Yeah, when, What's so hard about when that? You've seen dinosaurs walking around. 
and stuff <laughs> like that. It's hard, or superheroes, lifted stuff. It's hard to get into the other stuff. Magic sort of took a backward step, you know, just by time, sort of caught up with it. Now, that much said, there are different facets to magic, like uh, like uh, hand is quicker than the eye stuff, card trick stuff. And that yeah. stuff still plays well because it's still amazing to see. Oh, yeah. You know, and no. That's the stuff that I like. I like the close up stuff where people are, you know, doing we- things with coins and making things yeah. appear. Uh, and, and that's the stuff, especially with, when it's in person. It still astounds and amazing. Yeah. And that's so. something a lot of people don't realize, that aside from the fact that Houdini was a, uh, an escape artist, I almost said ventriloquist for some reason. Uh, aside from the fact that he was an <laughs> escape artist, he was also known as the king of cards, Boat. He was the master of card tricks. And uh, uh, doing stuff like that, so that's a that's a uh, that sort of thing has a, a long and and storied history. I don't watch that much magic anymore. I, every once in a while, I'll see an act come on TV that I'll that are on one of these like Got Talent type shows. Yeah, and, that's really the only place where you see it anymore. You don't see the half hour specials and all the David. The thing about David Blaine is that he's tremendously gifted as a magician, yeah. but all of his his angle is not that. His angle is doing wacky stuff, like being encased in ice for four weeks you know, and stuff like that. I saw David Blaine's, the first special I ever saw from him uh, was just on a cable channel, and it was called Street Magic, and it was just like what mm-hmm. we were talking about. He would just walk around, do stuff, and at the end of it, he levitated. This got over. I will say, I thought Blaine's stuff was gold. I was like, man, this yeah. guy's impressive. Yeah. And then, he, like you said, he sort of went off the path to doing stuff that I thought was stupid, and now I haven't heard anything about him in a long time. But, I mean, he had his moment. Uh, he's certainly yeah. talented, and I'm sure there are millions of uber talented magicians out there. It's just that you don't see them much anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, so. yeah. Unless it's unless it's on your radar. Like I was watching, uh, you know, this again, just going to visit my uncle. He was playing me the the Magic Olympics, which is called FISM, and it, it actually is like there's judges and there there's winners, and they have all the different categories. And this stuff from overseas, like there was this Korean guy doing card stuff. And I, I asked my uncle, I was like, do you know how he's doing that? And he's like, I have no idea how he does, like yeah. not even an inkling. So it's there's amazing stuff out there, but it's fallen out of the mainstream culture. Like, it, like it, you're not going to see the David Copperfield half hour special on NBC anymore. It's funny, Magic took a detour. It's sort of back to its roots in a stupid way. Mm-hmm. It went from uh, it went from some of this this dark arts type stuff to to a more amusing uh, Las Vegas type stuff. But now we've it's sort of bit back into into the stupid era uh, of magic with, with uh, uh, practicing witches and warlocks and all this stuff. Right. I mean, if that's the your psychic bag, fair, yeah, psychic fair, and so which that's actually more along the lines of what this game is than I guess <laughs> Doug Henning. Well, that's a good segue into it. Why don't we Why don't we talk about heavy on the magic, Aaron? You know, I I never heard of this, and when I heard the title. My first inclination, I was like, "I gotta, what is that? What a cra- what a wacky name that is!" And I looked around to see if I could. And I talked to you about this before the show. I couldn't really find if there was a story behind this heavy on the magic, uh, but it, it, it's a it's a wacky title. And this game is well. Sort of I'll tell you why I chose this game. Yeah, I chose this game because I have it. I've got it right here. Yeah. This was sent to us by uh, a listener at some point in the past. I. I, I wish that I would have kept track of who sent us what so I could give people proper credit. But it was Pixels at Dawn or it was Roshi. Somebody sent this to us. Unfortunately, the cover art on this version is a, one of the re-releases, and it's not nearly as cool as the original art, 
which you've put on the on the screen here. Uh, but when I saw that original art, I was like, man, I bet this is going to be a fantastic game. And of course, I didn't play it because like, why would I play the game before I choose it? So yeah, yeah. that's how I came up with picking heavy on the map. Well, it's uh, uh, the I will say the cover art is is outstanding. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's real good. So that that as far as I'm concerned, if you're gonna pick it because of that, that's I've I've done much worse. That's that's for sure. So, heavy on the magic uh, was released by an outfit called Gargoyle Games, which is a good name. Uh, yeah. In March of '86, uh, it was it was developed and published by Gargoyle, and, and I've come to find out that Gargoyle is actually a couple guys. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Gargoyle was a British game development outfit that uh, was founded by Roy Carter and Greg Fallis in 83, which these are the two guys that made this game. Uh, they, uh, uh, according to the wiki, they were around until around 92. They also published games under their uh, own Faster Than Light label, as well as an Elite label. And Boats, that you've been to the UK, I wrote this down, they were in Dudley, West Midlands. I don't, if, I don't know if you know where that's at. Uh, so... Uh. No, well, I don't know where go. Dudley is. Go. I never, I never graced the, uh, I never darkened the doorway of Dudley. <laughs> now these guys, this, this wasn't their first uh, trip to the pay window boat. They'd done a few things. Uh, Gargoyle developed a lot of games, and these guys pretty much developed almost all of them. Uh, they both worked on all the same games. They did Hydrofoil, uh, a Scooby Doo game, something mm -hmm. called Dundaric, uh, Mars Sport, all one word, Swevo's World, Ad Astra. Tur -na Nog was theirs as well. So those those are I've never heard of any of those games. They were all in on the wacky names. Well, Scooby Doo, they got one license in there. Uh, yeah, this is a 48k game. This also came out for the Amstrad. Something I wanted to touch on was in advertising. I looked at some of these ads, and it stated that there was going to be a Commodore 64 version of this. And so I looked at it to see if I could find it. Well, I can't find it because it never got released. And so the word on the oh. street is that uh, they actually found the guy who was doing the conversion, and he was, like, almost finished with the C64 version of this when they informed him that they weren't going to release it because they were getting out of this uh, type of gaming to go to more action, arcade-oriented games, and they were mm -hmm. pretty much taking finishing this thing out, and so he didn't release it, and apparently the code that he finished, which was almost over, was almost done, is lost in the annals of time, but it's gone. Maybe one day that'll be rediscovered. I'd love to see what this might look like on the C64. Yeah. If they, if they went with the same size of your character and all that stuff, it would be neat to see. Yeah. Uh, so what is heavy on the magic? This actually has a, a backstory. Uh, it's not really a long backstory either. It's just, it's sort of a short backstory. So according to the, uh, according to uh, what I read, the plot uh, insulting a high-level wizard is not a good idea, as Axel the Able has just discovered. He's been teleported from his favorite pub, the Golden Thurible, straight into the dank and dangerous dungeons of Culloden's pile. It would be a good day. It would be a good idea to find a way out. So basically, you are trying to escape from Culloden's pile or Culloden's, if you will, since you're in Culloden, but we can go with that. Yeah, Culloden's pile. Yeah, that sounds like a have great name escaped, for my resident. Have you escaped from there uh, yet, Boat? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> He's still there. So, uh, the premise of this game: you need to get out of this dungeon or pile or whatever you want to call it. That's it. You are uh, Axel the Able, or uh, the instructions I read occasionally refer to this guy as Axel the Barely Able. So they don't. <laughs> 
They sort of pre-bury you. <laughs> I like that. Before you actually get involved. Now, when this game hones into view, you've got the uh, text screen that tells you, uh, it gives you your load screen and your or your loading and your uh, saving and whatnot. But it also gives you the ability uh, to uh, look at your your randomly determined point totals. You get there's stamina, skill, and luck. You can't change these totals, but what you can do is jostle them around until you put what you want where. Uh, right. Once you do that, you hit the magic button and you and you go to work and you appear uh, in this uh, game now. Right out of the gate, when you see the game start, you know you've got something going on here because the art in this is real unusual, isn't it, Boat? It's it's different than any art I believe I've ever seen in a video game. I mean, it's especially a game of this age. Uh, it's the game that it reminds me the most of is Batman: The Cape Crusader. Um, because maybe it's just because the cloak is such a big part of your figure. And when you'd watch Batman sort of saunter around with the cloak in that game, but your sprite is huge. Your sprite is probably a quarter of the size of the screen. The action takes place in the top three quarters of the screen or the top third of the screen. And your character is just massive. So what you see is, uh, is your character and you see the background and you see objects in the foreground that you can you can interact with, um, and uh, when you move, you move by text commands. So this is an odd example of an adventure game that gives you complete or sort of control over where you move in a very definite way, but you're not doing it directly. You're still doing it through text commands. So. Um, that makes getting around not always super easy. It's not always easy to position your guy exactly where you want him, but that's 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 sort of the long and short of it. Your guy looks like who's that guy he looks from? Like, uh, he looks he, like Moon Knight. So he looks no, like he looks Marvel. like the oh, he looks like the guy from He Man. What was that guy's name? The I don't know. little wizard dude. I don't know. Who, he had a, I don't know who. I don't. I don't he watch He Man. Cloak. He had a red cloak. Everybody hated him. He was kind of Orko. Thank you, Mitsuyama. He doesn't look like Orko. Uh, Orko was a little. He looks geek. exactly like Orko. It does not. He has legs. Uh, no, um, Orko had like a. He didn't have a cape on. He had like a freaking. He had like a moo moo or something on. This Orko was a little <laughs> geek. This guy's a stud. He looks like Moon Knight or some Death Knight. He's got okay, his eyes Knight, pierced Orko. out of the out of the hood. He looks cool. He looks awesome. Orko's a well, little dork. This guy does, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say that this guy, this guy doesn't look like a stone cold killer because they, they basically give him two eyes and that's all you see on his face. Yes. He looks sort of friendly. I never what? really thought that he looked menacing. No, man. He looks like a guy that would take care of business. I love the way this guy looks. Look. Oh, I, I think it's, and you can't, we can't say enough about the animation of the main character in this game. Uh, when he moves, his cloak sways in the breeze. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he has several different animations that he does, whether he's casting a spell, you know, moving about. Um, I guess that's really all he does is cast spells and move about. But um, compared to the other enemies in this game, he really looks great. Yeah, he's the only non-geek in the entire game. The rest of these guys, look yeah. like, they made some interesting art choices. But I want to get back to this guy and, and the art in general. This is like if you is what it reminds me of is if you're a BBS guy. It's almost like you it's some really top shelf antsy art that got animated. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of blocky, big pixel stuff. But they use that to their advantage. They took 
what I mean, if you made this game in a normal way, this character would be about half this size. He'd be far less detailed, but he would be the lines and stuff would be smoother. So they took they made the choice to make this big and blocky, but to take the advantage of that by giving him lots more detail, and it and it paid off, brother. This thing looks right. awesome. Uh, and despite what uh, what Boat said about Orca, this guy looks cool. It looks like Doctor Doom or something striding confidently through the halls of this dungeon. This cloak sways. He'll lift his arms up and he'll cast magical spells or pick stuff up. When he backs off into a chamber, he kind of holds his cloak together, kind of backs into the darkness. He looks awesome. Uh, I loved I loved all that aspect of the game. Now, when you get to the actual enemies you come up with, these guys look like they strolled out of like the the uh, uh, trash bin at Hanna Barbera. Like they, these guys, just, they're just the geekiest looking dupuses. And I thought to myself, how is this bad looking dude getting smoked by this like? tubby dupes. They look like they're like they drank a bunch of NyQuil. It's like a big stupid ogre. Or these I mean some of the enemies are okay, you know, but a lot of them look I, we're just real a kid of Well and they, they also don't move around. All the yeah. enemies in this game are are completely like the ogre has two frames of animation. The ghost I don't think moves at all. So and when the enemies die, when you kill the enemies, they basically just melt into the ground. Yeah. It's it's no great shape. And so do you when you get killed. You sort of just like disintegrate. But, That's true. If I drink too much, the neat, then this is a strange one, boat. I, I mean, this is a, because you're right. It's all text based. I and it's not like you type get like like get torch. That's not how it works. You type well, the it, first. It's, sort, it's you type it's the first sort of letter. Is. Well, I mean, there's a list. There's a commands list, brother, right. and you've got to have that thing standing by. Like I want well, to pick something this... up, and you have to you have to know that it's, you can't get get. Or or what you have to use P. That's the that's the letter you yeah. use. You know stuff like yeah. that. Here's the thing about this game, and this is the reason why there wasn't a heavy on the magic two. Um, instead of operating like a text based adventure game, this game uses its own language called Merpish. Okay, the bad move. <laughs> why fix what's not broken? We've already got a language. It's called English. Just it's it's used well. Look at all of Hermsky's videos that he does every week where he does these these text-based adventure games. <laughs> it's called it. Text, yeah. English is not a problem. You should have used that. But in this game, you have to, you basically, you now, this is a Spectrum game, so I understand why maybe they thought they were doing it more easily by giving you one-word commands, yeah. uh, and then you have to type in the name of the object. Yeah. But here's the problem. In every other text adventure game, there's a command that says, look. Yeah. Okay. And when you type look, it says exits are north, south, and Dennis. There's a flagon of mead on the on the ground or something like that. And then you're like, oh, it's a flagon of mead. I'm going to go pick it up. Guess what? In this game, it gives you none of that. You see objects in the room, but you have to take your best guess based on what the documents have told you about what these objects might be. Okay? In the first room, there are two bookshelves with books on them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One of them is a poison book. Yeah. If you type in pick up book, yeah. you'll take the poison book and you'll slowly die. Yeah, you have to put it down. <laughs> the book that you have to take is not called the book, it's called the grimoire. Okay. Now, the instructions do mention the grimoire, but at no point do they ever say, make sure you pick up the grimoire in the first room. They just expect you. Guess what? I had no idea what a grimoire was. You could have told me that was one of the enemies and I would have believed you. I would have been stuck from from Jump Street on this game. So this game, 
when they tell you in other games that you need to read the manual, usually it means that there's there the controllers are wacky or there's something that you really need to know about the mechanics of the game. In this game, you have to have an intimate, intimate relationship with all of the backstory and all of the flavor text. In this game, in contrast to so many games that we play, the flavor text is not useless drivel. It's essential drivel. It's still drivel. Yeah, there's some stuff um, in, the, in the instructions that is pretty pivotal to the game. I will say that, first first of all, it is cute that they would put a poison object right, right away. You could grab it. In the yeah, but well, it's definitely in the grand if tradition. If you look of around games. that room, yeah. you can find out that that's a grimoire, right? Uh, and but there's no look. You have to examine right. an object. It's not. They don't make it easy when they could have made it easy by just saying L enter well, and then telling you what's in the room. Uh, what did you call this system of uh, uh, that they use again? Murfish. Murfish. Listen, everyone. Eighty three was well past uh, uh, when. Uh, all the Zorks and stuff had got, came out. You had a lot that by that time, a lot of text games commands were pretty well established. So you are you are poking the bear when you start monkeying with that stuff because everybody else knew all the other ones. You know that I was I don't think that was the best choice. There's several choices in this game that I, I don't think were the best. Uh, I would also have just I would have liked just to be able to move the guy around with the arrow keys as opposed to having to type. Mm-hmm. Now I. That much said, it's not a deal breaker. None of the, what you said was a deal breaker for me. Uh, in fact, nothing was a deal breaker. I thought this was a real good game. Uh, the uh, this the we've played a lot of uh, games that were graphics text games. I played a ton of these things with the Coco, but they they weren't like this. Not so yeah. animated. Not so uh, not so visually stunning. All right, they were just like uh, maybe there might be the slightest bit of animation on the screen, but it was pretty much a static screen. This is right. This is more like it. This is when I think a text game with some graphics. This is what I want to see. It points out all the exits, which is great. I love that. You know, it uh, it visually represents what's going on now. Do you have to figure out some stuff to do? You're right. I agree with you a hundred percent that it, it's not the easiest way to do things. The system they came up with, but once you once you fiddle with it for a while, you could sort of. I mean, I had to have the command standing by at all times. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you have. This is not a game you could actually pirate, and unless you had the commands there, you need to, you needed to have them with you. And I had to refer to them. I had them on this screen right here when I was playing the game mm-hmm. on this screen. There was no in between. If you can get past that, uh, it's there's so you can get past the controls. Now it's the plot and stuff. I would have liked to have seen something uh, more. I don't know. I don't want to say mature, but just something more interesting. You know, because there's just a lot of wandering in this. Mm-hmm. You know. I looked at some map sets for this. They were ludicrous. The amount of rooms you go through, it had to be in the hundreds of rooms. Just Yeah, to- there, there are four floors in this game, and each floor probably has, I don't know, 40 rooms in it. Yeah, it's now, these rooms are tiny. You know, they're only, it's one screen per room. But, I mean, a big part of this game is just wandering around, for sure. Yeah, and now... They do. This is one of the few games that splits the screen by a third, and actually, you get all that you need in the bottom third. Yeah. They do a good job. You yeah, get, that, the, the the UI is is good. Yeah. I mean, the HUD situation is very good. You get the you get sort of the parser text area in the middle. You get the exits. You get on the left. You also get uh, uh, a little description of where you're at, uh, what's going on, and then on the right, you get your your uh, stats. This is all important stuff, uh, and it helps. Uh, the uh, the uh, the fact that 
the video matches the text is nice. The there, like I said, I don't like I don't like the look of some of the stuff in this. I would have liked to have had a more cohesive plot. There's there's plot elements in this about with numbers and 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 uh, 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 you have, there's some areas where you have to like summon demons and stuff. Uh, which I didn't get anywhere near the stuff, by the way. It's just I watched a walkthrough after I got killed about 50 times. You'll die a lot in this if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you'll wander a lot. So ultimately, you get to the point where, like, is this fun, what I'm doing here? And I, it wasn't that much fun to me. I suppose this is the kind of game that would be a lot more fun to someone who was a kid that had all the time in the world and had the time to set a map. You know, we've talked about how these games don't age well for people like us. Because they weren't meant for people like us. And I think this game falls into that category. But I think it's a graphical tour de force. Uh, yeah. One of the well, best I mean, things. What, what I've found is that the people that love this game. Well, this is an example of a game that the more you put into it, maybe the more you get yeah. out of it. Where, you know, if you really take your time and you've made this your one of your many life's goals to to complete this game then you know then it's probably going to be one of your favorites but for the vast majority of people that probably pick this up on the old budget label like this uh they 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 probably didn't go that route and they 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 just sort of wrote it off um the game does not do you a lot of favors in telling you you know sort of i don't know i like to have there are some people that like to have their hand held there are some people that like to be turned loose completely and of course, there's lots of lots of air, gray area in between there. But this game really gives you nothing about you know how to really even get started with playing the game and solving the puzzles. Other than like you're going to have to use your wits to figure out these puzzles, which I mean, you know, obviously, you know why. You know, so I guess that there are a lot of word puzzles in here, sort of like cryptic crosswords, where you're manipulating items in certain ways that you have to think about. It's not like put key in hole. You know, there's none of that in this game. And again, you know, if you really make it, if you devote a significant amount of time to a game like this, I'm sure it's very rewarding to figure that stuff out. But because of sort of the way that this game is, it just, I can't see myself, even when I was a kid, I don't think I would have put in the time. And I just don't think that I'm smart enough to figure out a lot of these puzzles. When you watch the the playthrough videos and you see what you have to do to advance, I mean, it's complex stuff. Yeah, you know, this game had an interesting gimmick, which was unfortunately the the uh, never was ever fulfilled. One of the angles this, that they were using in this, this is even mentioned, is that uh, they were going to be this was going to be the first of a trilogy, and you were going to be able to carry your character that you put together through the all the games, and mm-hmm. so all your stats and all the stuff you found would be able to be carried in the next game. It's uh it surprises me uh, that this game never uh, got an, a sequel. And one of the reasons, I mean, I don't, we don't know how it's sold. I don't have any figures that, but I mean, I don't know if you looked at the uh, the reviews on this boat. I'll spell them out for you here. Okay. Uh, I, and I'll touch on this real quick, and then we'll talk about comparing it to the other version. But uh, Sinclair User, when this came out, gave this 100%. Crash wow. gave it a 90 uh, in 86. Uh, it, it got great reviews. It won awards. It got the CVG Hit Award, Crash Smash. Sinclair User Classic, your Sinclair Mega Game, and the ZX Computing Monster Hit. You know, it it, it was a very heralded game uh, back in the day. It was very popular. And one, well, I mean, I can I can understand why that is because this is easily the most advanced adventure game that was out by this point in time. In 1986, 
this I guarantee there couldn't have been anything that was more advanced in terms of having an animated character moving around on the screen, doing all the things that you're doing in games like this. I mean, this there's nothing else like it. The uh, it won the best adventure game of the year in Crash, and it was here my personal favorite vote. It came oh so close, but was the runner-up in the Golden Joystick. Golden Award. Joystick, yeah. So <laughs> we mentioned that this did not get a C64 release. Also, I found a little blurb, I think it was on Moby, where they'd mentioned that uh, there was a, con- a trivia contest or a contest that was ran in CVG to win a copy of Heavy on the Magic. And the contest was won by a fella, and but the version you were going to get was the C64 version. So they oh. lament on whether this guy ever got his uh, version. Yeah. But... They did release another version of this game, Boaster, and this was for the Amstrad. Uh, got got a version of it. Now uh, I flipped through looking at this, and it looks. I'd say it looks on par. I would. My guess would be that the Amstrad version of this is one of the many, many Amstrad versions that were pretty much uh, copied, almost uh, point for point from the Spectrum version. I don't really. I mean, clearly, it's not using. Uh, it's not taking uh, any of the good aspects of the Amstrad and using them in any way. It looks pretty much just like the same basic thing you're all, seeing. All they've done is they've turned all of the... Your main character is now a different color from the background. The enemies are a different color from the background versus in the Spectrum version, everything is the same color. It's a shame, so they, it's a shame that, yeah. that, that the Amstrad got abused uh, like that, but that's the way it goes. Bo, did we get any Discord action on this? We did, we did. We heard from a couple people uh, talking about Heavy on the Magic. Uh, we'll start with D-Man. He says, Gargoyle had raised the bar with what could have been achieved, what can be achieved on the Spectrum with their previous releases, Turnanog and Dundarach, and once again weaved their magic with this classic. Featuring distinctive blocky graphics that were blown up larger, great use of the full color palette of the Spectrum, uh, a quirky offbeat dose of humor, and a great deeper tune on the menu to boot. Many of the puzzles are brutally difficult, but this was in part responsible for me returning to the game again and again over a number of years to get that little bit further and maintaining a certain obsession with it. The hybrid action text entry interface won't be to everyone's taste, and in that regard, it's definitely a Marmite game. However, it remains firmly entrenched on my all-time list of favorite games for the Spectrum, so it's a 10 out of 10 for me. And Z9K9 writes, Gargoyle were expert at channeling the limited capability of the early micros to leave such things unsaid in their games, which only increase their mystery and intrigue. The unusual, tartly abbreviated text and graphic system freshens the adventure formula and makes you less sure of the limits of the game's reality. I find myself thinking extra laterally not to miss the kind of -of out-of-the-box action one might need to progress in a world that requires you to do lunatic things like talk to inanimate objects. And then he writes even more. If you're on Discord, you can check out his full review. I'm going to skip to the end. Enduringly, though, the game shines in atmosphere. Vivid background inks evoke damp blue darkness, dusty cyan stone, gleaming yellow splendor, and burning red fire with fearsome intensity. The impatient, capricious Denzians of the underworld prey on your naivety, always quick to cut morality to the bone in spectacular style. This is the kind of game which scared me as a kid, but is never forgotten. You know... Uh, uh, that was quite a literary work. Yeah. <laughs> I was very impressed. And D-Man, both of you guys, uh, Mr. Calling, my friends. Uh, yeah, and again, this is a game that you probably wrote off almost immediately or became obsessed with. Well, it's just one of those two. I had, I I found this game quite enticing. I, it's it's funny. I, it found you enticing? How far did you get? Well, no, no, no you, you didn't let me finish, my friend. What I liked, it's not, but what I was going to say is I found the game enticing in that 
this is the kind of graphical interface I would like to see in my text-based graphics game. Yeah, The absolutely. actual adventure of the game, it didn't do it for me. And there were aspects of it I didn't think graphical. I thought they dropped the bottle like cutesy stuff mixed in with cool stuff. You can have one or the other. You can't see, have both. I, I think you're totally misreading the cool, the cool stuff. I still think your guy looks sort of doofusy, and I think it's done on purpose because look at the way he's described in the manual as Ax Axel the you know barely competent or whatever. I think he looks. They cool. wanted him to be a doofus. I think he looks cool. I just don't. I don't like the idea. I don't like. I mean, it's probably easier to make stuff cutesy, but I, uh, in terms of like, am I gonna go back and gut my with this? Heck no. But if I was a kid in '83 and I saw this game, I would think to myself, this is the future of this genre of the role-playing genre, the, the text-based genre. This is what I want because this is a game that really does a great job representing what what would take a lot of words to write. You can see it. I would like to have seen, and of course there are uh, limitations, we know, Boat. I would like to have seen a, a much more varied scenes. You know, if I'm running a D&D &D module, the a whole thing is just not going to be caves. You're going to have uh, lots of other stuff to make it, to make it interesting. And I think this game could have used that stuff as well. But I think they did a good job with the visuals. It's just that the story and some of the other stuff I didn't think was that all that great. But a, a, a good a good idea, and I think they I think they did a, a decent job innovating on this one, boat. Yeah, I I have no qualms with anything about the game, other than the fact that it's just not for me. I'm not willing to devote the type of time that you need to puzzle out. You know, like, and, and this is my main problem with a lot of point and click adventure games is that the logical leaps that you need to take to to uh, to solve these puzzles, it, it becomes like a thing where it's just like, is this a game anymore? Or am I just like, am I spent? I don't know. I just feel like it's it's not fun. It's not fun for me, but it's fun for other people. I will say that the addition of things on the walls, the doors yeah. and things like that, keep this from being a complete dungeon crawler. You know, they could have made all the walls look exactly the same easily, like the wall we're looking at now. But I, I do like the fact that they try to decorate some of the rooms a little bit. Yeah. They could have done more. You're right about that. I mean, it would have been nice to have, you know, different sections. But it, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, this is not for me, but I can definitely see why people people like it. And I can definitely see why it reviewed as high as it did, yeah. because I guarantee you the people writing those reviews didn't play this game to completion. They just saw what the game was trying to do and reviewed it accordingly. Well, I, I you know, Rogue, Rogue Likes and Rogue and Telling Guard, so those games were real popular in the early days of Microsoft. You could have taken any one of those games and made it this with minimum effort. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You could have just taken yeah. the concepts of that, added this to the front end, and then just kept the ball rolling. So heck yeah, yeah. I mean that it really. If I were Infocom, that's what I would have farmed his work out. You know, it, yeah. it, to, into something like this engine. Yeah, I think it would have been great. I just don't like uh, again. I, I I would have liked to be able to use arrow keys to move. I'd like yeah. a little yeah. more, more of like a, you know how they did King's Quest. Like right. that was, and clearly that was sort of the next step, wasn't it? This is sort right. of the in yeah. King, King's Quest would be the logical evolution yeah. of this for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this month's edition of Our Sinclair. Uh, this was the game that I chose. Uh, so Aaron is up with the next choice. Aaron, do you have a next choice, or are you gonna? We're gonna. We're gonna wait and see. Let's go with. Uh, I've looked over several here, boat, and I'm going to go with a game. Um, just at random. It's called Exolon, boat. Exolon. Exolon, L O N E X O L O N, Exolon. Exolon. That's okay, right. man. Sounds good. Yeah. We will do Exolon on the next edition of Our Sinclair. 
Thank you guys so much for watching. We do want to thank all of our fine patrons. If you want to support Ars Sinclair, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Sinclair and join the following fine folks. David Terrace, Justin Tenpot Gamer, Edvin Helland, Andrew Waite, Eric Nelson, Captain Crispy, Laurent Giroux, Mark Downey, Hermsky, Paul Bossman Harrington, Peter Mulholland, Chris Folds, Gary Heather, Jed Byrne, Mark Durham, Mitsuyama, and Pixels at Dawn. Remember, if we get up to 200 bucks a month on Patreon, we will turn our Sinclair into a weekly program. So your support helps us reach that goal. All right, Exolon coming up next. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next time. Until then, rewind tape and press play.